Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, usually I am not the worship leader and the preacher and the offering person music today. However, Joseph and Becca, some of my closest right hand, left hand people, um, they had to, uh, they were on call today. So that's why I'm doing everything. <laughs> so I apologize if I'm a little bit discombobulated, I will do my best. Um, but, uh, we'll do the cleanup. Thank you. I will not clean up, I will not help with anything after <laughs> this sermon. Um, yeah, thank you guys uh, for coming. I just see a couple new faces, just friends um, and support and love. Um, and I just really appreciate that. Um, so something I, I just wanted to address real quick, I just thank you for uh, just coming to my dad's uh, funeral um, last week. And uh, there was about, some people estimated up to 250 people here, um, one of the largest funerals they've ever seen. Uh, my mom and I, and my, the rest of my family thought that my dad did not have friends. Um, <laughs> and so, but we realized how much um, his love for the Lord influenced us, both his spiritual kids and physical kids, and how much that has influenced others. And uh, like Joseph said, you know, if you know the son, you know the father. Um, and, uh, and so many were able to, um, to mourn him, but even more importantly was to glorify God. And that was what my mom wanted. Uh, at 11 p.m. the night before the funeral, she suddenly told us after we had all bought our funeral attire for the next day, uh, she goes, I don't want black. And I was like, <laughs> um, and just realizing that my mom wanted a celebration, uh, a celebration of not just my dad's life, but a celebration of the goodness of the Lord um, in our lives. And uh, that's one thing I wanted to just really um, convict in my heart this week as, um, you know, we were going through my dad's stuff, which is a very hard process. Like looking, you know, Sharon, Shannon knows, um, or sorry, Sharon, <laughs> I think, sorry, yeah. Uh, but uh, just, you know, it's difficult to watch my dad go, but what's really hard is to watch my mom alone, to, to go through his stuff. Um, but even as I was doing that, and as my family was doing that, I just realized that at the end of all our lives, um, what we do end up does not actually um, last unless it's built on the rock of Christ. Uh, nothing of us will be remembered. And as much as I, I realized this week, as much as the funeral for my dad was awesome. As much as I made the best website I could make, I tried to gather all the memories and all the pictures and. Uh, tried to get as much, you know, uh, memorialized and remembered about my father. The truth is, not just with my father, but with every single one of us, within a few generations, we will be forgotten. Um, we will be forgotten. Uh, that's, all, that's it. Like, if they even remember our name, that will be a huge thing. And even if they remember our name, they will not remember much of what we did. But what will last for all eternity and what really matters at the end of the day is how our life has magnified God. Uh, that is why 250 people showed up at the funeral. Not because they knew my dad, not because they, they you know, uh, knew his intricacies or his ways or even just wanted to remember him forever. It's because of the glory of my dad's life magnifying Jesus and influencing people's walk with the Lord. 
And let that be said that when we reach the end of our race, which to all of us we will, whether we fight it or not, you know, um, that the influence of our lives uh, will truly, people will come and celebrate because of how our lives magnify God. And uh, I'm sure even when my dad went up to heaven, there's probably, you know, the Bible even says this, to use your earthly mammon, to use your earthly broken wealth to bring as many people as close to the Lord so that when you get to heaven, there will be a warm welcome of many who welcome you into the kingdom. And uh, so uh, my favorite quote of all time um, by a human, uh, like not like a, a Bible quote or something like that, from God, but my favorite Christian quote is um, the best advice I've ever heard in my life was uh, for your life is to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Just go ahead, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. That's, the, that's such a relieving thing from the American dream. Oh, I gotta make a mark for myself, I gotta make my name known, I gotta, no, it's okay, just preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. And let Christ be magnified. Yeah. Um, so that had nothing to do with my sermon today. Oh my gosh, how much time do I have left? Okay. All right, I'm putting a timer on myself. Um, but uh, today uh, I wanted to talk about um, the weapon of praise um, because it's okay. Can you guys see okay? All right. Um, so I wanted to talk about that because, um, for a couple reasons. Uh, one, uh, just speaking with a lot of you guys, um, even as, as my family was going through a hard week, I realized many of you guys are going through a hard week, a hard month, a hard year. Um, and there were many people who were coming to me, my family, and just being like, uh, wow, you guys are so strong like, in this valley. Like, you guys are so strong. And as much as um, I received that and appreciate that, um, I felt like just a puddle <laughs> of, like, bleh. Not strong at all. Um, even in the beginning, when I knew that my dad might die, and it was very likely that he would, um, I looked at my family, I looked at my spiritual family, and I thought to myself, are we going to make it? Like, in terms of not just are we going to survive, but is our faith going to survive this? Is our spiritual family going to survive? Is our physical family going to survive? But more important, are we still going to even love God like after this is done? And, um, and so when everyone was like, you were so strong, I was like, no, actually, we were not. We were just so weak and in need of God. And the only thing we could do um, was... Worship him. And it wasn't because we felt strong that we worshiped him. It wasn't because we were like, oh, this is what the good Christian would do in times of trials as such. It was just we were so in so much pain that we needed God and we needed worship. And I I said this before, but I knew that uh, I knew that my family, the rest of my family would be okay. I knew that my spiritual family would be okay when I saw their mouths open to praise. Um, there is power in praise. And I, I tell people that even just this week when people are coming up to me and saying I've been struggling with depression this week, 
I've been struggling with, you know, anxiety this week. Um, the only thing I know how to do is just tell them what we did in, in depression and anxiety, which is just, just sing. Just sing to the Lord. Like, I, we can't reason out the logic of why all this happened. But if, but the, I told this one kid, like, the, as much as I wanted um, the success of this trial to be my dad surviving, as much as I wanted the success of this trial to be, you know, um, my, my success vision was that he and I would go to New Zealand. That was the dream, because my dad always wanted to go to New Zealand one day. And my brother Johnny wants to go to New Zealand. And all of us love Lord of the Rings. And my dad doesn't want to go to Japan. He doesn't want to go to anywhere else, just New Zealand. And so to me, like, my success was, like, Tad would be healed. We'd all go on a family vacation, and it would be New Zealand. Um, but, but as much as I wanted that, that was not the measure of success in a good God's eyes. Um, his measure of success for me and my family, and for all of us, is not that, that we get the American dream, that we get whatever, but that we would continue to, to sing, that we wouldn't stop singing his praise. That success looks like when we come out of the storm, of whatever you're going through, that you would still be declaring, that you would still be worshiping, you would still be in love with God. And my brother and I have been hammering this over and over again um, because uh, this is something that really hit us in this valley was that, um, I was telling Johnny earlier, like, if God wanted to cripple me in my walk in love with God, he would say something like, oh, Priscilla, you're like, you're serving the Lord doesn't matter. Like, the enemy would say that, you know, and that would cripple me. Or if, um, you know, for all of you guys, it's different. What would the enemy say to try to cripple you, to hurt you the most, right? Well, interestingly enough, for God, Satan is not just an accuser of the brethren, but he's an accuser of God. Like, and he says to God, to try to hurt him the most, he says, they only love you because of what you've done for them, the good that you've given them. Of course they're going to love you. Take it away from them, and they will curse you. They will stop singing. They will stop worshiping. Um, and so that's the test, really, for all of us in this trial, in this tribulation, to never stop singing the praises of the Lord. Um, in fact, the weapon of praise um, is what I want to go into today. But, um, oops. Uh, we know the story of um, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And um, of course, as Christians, we recognize that Egypt represented our own life, our old life before Christ, when we were in bondage, when we were under Pharaoh and oppression and, and gone from the promises and the, the where is God, you know. Um, and when we were saved, we left Egypt. And I, I don't know why it took me like 30 some years to realize this, but do you guys know why God told Pharaoh to let his people go? I always thought, as an American dream, I was like, oh, it's because God hates slavery and uh, God didn't like their suffering, which is not entirely untrue. But that wasn't the main reason why God told Pharaoh to let my people go. To worship. He said, let my people go so that they may worship me. We were not made to just be free to be free to do whatever we want. We were made specifically true freedom 
specifically, true freedom is not the American dream. True freedom is not you make a billion dollars and you get to buy whatever you want. True freedom is found in worship and worship alone. Uh, same thing, the zeal of God's heart to set, set the Israelites free from Egypt was also seen in Jesus in the temple when that same passion uh, turned over the tables of the, the, the temple and uh, by Jesus' same passion, like, my house shall be called a house of prayer, a house of worship. Let my people go. That same zeal of justice, like, they are being oppressed. They are being, one was being oppressed by slavery. One was being oppressed by uh, religious activity and money. And God just like slams his fist down with plagues and he slams his fist down to overturn temples. Why? Not just so we can not have bondages and we can, uh, it was unto worship. It was unto praise. And so once uh, his people were set free from Egypt, we know the journey from Egypt to uh, the Promised Land was very difficult. Uh, that the, the story didn't end there, but once they reached the Promised Land, and once we as Christians take on our faith in Christ, we still have enemies to conquer. Um, and so today I wanted to talk about these enemies in light of worship, because the Israelites stood apart from all the other nations in the world. And we stand apart from, as a Christian nation, we stand apart from every other religion, every other people group in the world in that our primary weapon is not uh, the armies and mechanics of men, nor is it, um, you know, our strength is not in man's wisdom, but our way of conquering is through praise and worship. Um, we were called to be a royal priesthood. That's what priests did. They worshiped God. That was their main purpose, their main vocation, was to worship. And that's what made the Israelites stand apart. Like, they were literally a pathetic people group. Like, they were, I mean, imagine, like, they were not trained in war. Uh, there were tons of women and children. Um, they had just been slaves for over 400 years. There probably wasn't a lot of Krav Maga training or anything going on during their, like, slavery years. Like, they, they just stumbled out of Egypt, wandered, were super tired, their shoes, like God was like, okay, you're, you're not going to have shoes if, you, if I don't preserve your shoes. So he helps them like, keep their shoes intact. But they are not warriors. And they come into this promised land against some of the biggest armies and most vicious and evil armies of the world at that time. And everyone's like trembling before them. Why? Not because of anything they had, but that they knew that their God was with them. They saw it as a fire by night, a pillar by day. And the fire of God and the pillar of light was there because God commanded them to be a community of worship. And when they worshiped, the presence of God was with them and moved with them. And when they worshiped, nothing could, could destroy them. And um, that's why my family and I came out of our valley. Like, we would have been destroyed. We would have, to be honest. It was super hard. And we would have been destroyed had not the power of praise and the presence of God sustained us through it. And so I wanted to go through um, some of these enemies of Israel. Uh, there were actually seven. 
um, that the Bible lists. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I forgot to get rid of the briefly elaborate on what you want to discuss. <laughs> but, um, so I'm going to talk about the seven enemies, and I'm going to talk about seven aspects of the power of praise that help us conquer these enemies. Okay, so um, these. this is the Bible verse in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 2. The Israelites just finished crossing the desert. Then uh, there's, they're told by God, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall not make any covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Um, something to note, four things that the Lord told them. These people, these armies, one, they're bigger than you. You can't do it alone. If you try to fight them alone, you will be destroyed. They are stronger than you. Two, I will give them over to you. Cling to me, cling to the cross, cling to Jesus. He will help you, and he will deliver them into your hands. Then he says, when he does, utterly destroy them. Don't be friends with them. Don't marry into them. Destroy them, because they will pollute your culture. They will destroy your faith. Utterly destroy them. Make no covenant. Show no compassion. Even if they look pretty, even if they look friendly, even if they seem... Uh, like they can benefit you in some way, make no covenant with them. Okay, so let's take a look at these armies the Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And remember, each one of them, God gave them the power of praise as their primary weapon to conquer them. All right, um, we all know that Jewish people. Uh, I was actually talking to my mom about this uh, after, my brother Joseph and I were talking to my mom about this, that, that after dad died, we realized we, we wanted to record and make sure we knew what our names meant and all our relatives' names meant, because they're in Chinese and like, you know, when my mom passes away it's like, who are you going to ask, you know? And so, like, we wanted to, to know the names of our, our aunts and our uncles and what they meant. And Joseph and I had this realization that in the Chinese culture, if you run into somebody and you meet them for the first time, you know exactly what their parents' hope was for them. Because their name means something. And you can tell what it means. Not so much in the English, but definitely in the Jewish as well. Like, their names all, it's very simple, their names meant what they were. Okay. Um, so let's take a look at these because each of these enemies of Israel meant something. And then it's really cool to realize that um, God wants us to conquer these seven. These are the seven enemies that when you become a Christian, God says it's not time to lay back. It's not time to relax. You didn't just make it into heaven, so you're good. These are seven things that as a Christian, by the blood and power of Jesus, by worship, you are called to conquer, give no covenant to, and utterly destroy. Let's start with Hittites. Hittite literally means one who is broken or fierce. Okay? Um, the spirit of fear, the spirit of Hittite is literally 
the spirit of fear. Sons of terror, subliminal torrents, phobias, depressions, delusion, deceit. God calls us to conquer and utterly make no covenant. Do not entertain, do not hold it in your mind, the spirit of fear. Don't rationale that, oh, but you know, this makes sense and therefore I have to fear. Make no covenant, utterly destroy the spirit of fear. And the truth is, like, you will either fear God or you will fear man. There is no middle ground. That the fear of God breaks the fear of man. And, and if you are saying, oh, I don't really fear God, and I don't really fear men either, that's not true. <laughs> like, you, if you don't fear God, you definitely fear man. But your fear of man may not look like you're shy. It may look like you live for their applause. You live to please them. You know, and even in, in the Chinese culture, I know the, the fear of man can even look like the fear of disappointing your parents. You know, um, whatever that may look like, trying to win the praise, trying to look good uh, before man, um, to break that fear. For God, first, Second Timothy one seven says, "For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love." and of a sound mind. It's interesting that, that the opposite, like if you fear, uh, you have no power, you're paralyzed, uh, you have no love. Like some people think that they can be fearful and but full of love, that's actually not true. When you're fearful, uh, that God's perfect love actually casts out fear. And when you're fearful, you're not actually loving at all. Sometimes I wonder if the opposite of fear isn't so much hate, or sorry, the opposite of love isn't maybe not so much hate, but maybe the opposite of love is fear. And you're just not reasonable. <laughs> that's, what, that's what God says. No sound mind in you. It is a terrible thing to make decisions in life when you are afraid. You make poor decisions. And so... God calls the Israelites, the Hittites, the ones who are fearful, that fear, break it, make no covenant with it, destroy, utterly destroy fear by the power of God. And one of the things that, um, that is an aspect of praise and worship is that praise makes the enemy flee. Worship makes the enemy flee. Worship actually drives out evil spirits. Uh, we see that in the story of David. Um, Saul was oppressed uh, by demons. And every time David would come and worship, those demons would drive out. I don't even know if Saul knew he was oppressed by demons. Like, maybe other people told him, you're just, you know, you just needed, you're just having, you know, mental, chemical imbalance. I don't know, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, like, worship will actually liberate us from oppression. Um, worship sets the captives free, anything that imprisons you. We know the story of, uh, of Peter and um, in the prison and worshiping, and when he worshiped, the chains broke. So whatever imprisons you, worship sets you free. Worship breaks strongholds. Second Chronicle twenty twenty two, 
But the story of Jehoshaphat, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Like, it's so counterintuitive. When enemies come against us, when difficulties and oppression, we're like, all right, we just got to grit our teeth, we got to fight back, we got to you know, convince them and just really like, you're like, we gotta strengthen up. And actually, like, one of the things God calls us to do first is be weak before Him and just worship Him and let God do the work. Yeah. Okay, so that was Hittite fear. Oh, this is a map I found of all the. Uh, the locations of these enemies, the promise land. So Hittite fear. The power of praise makes the enemy flee. So looking at the second one, Girgashites. The Girgashites, actually that that phrase or that word means turning back. It's specifically uh, people, they use that, that term in the Hebrew when people would go on a pilgrimage and they returned. They turned back. Uh, it means they returned from a holy place. They discovered what was good at some point in their life. They discovered the good things of God, but left it. Gergeshites themselves were famous for being uh, clay dwellers, earth dwellers. Uh, so they're people who go back and are earthly minded. Uh, so when we talk about destroying the Gergeshites, we're talking about destroying that, that enemy of backsliding in our faith and carnality. Destroy that, that, that mindset of turning around of unbelief in what cannot be seen. And interestingly enough, too, um, historians say that the Girgashites, they didn't just, they weren't like the Babylonians who came in and sweep through everything in one go. Girgashites, they had a method of fighting that was uh, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit there. And so Girgashites battled by decree, degrees, like little compromises, right? You don't give up your faith. You don't walk hard with the Lord, see the good things of God, and then the next day be like, nope. <laughs> like, you make little compromises. We make little compromises in what we listen to, in what we watch, in what we allow into our minds and our thoughts. Yeah. God calls us to make no covenant with Gergeshites, to cast it out completely. Uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This pertaining to the Girgashites and their earthly homes that they would make. Praise gives God the glory he deserves. Praise causes us to not turn back. If we stop praising, you can be like, I didn't really turn from the Lord. I just stopped praising. Actually, the moment you stop praising, you naturally start to backslide. 
Praise is the only right response to greatness. Um, everybody praises. Like, the natural inclination to praise is huge. Uh, when you go to, I bet not a lot of you guys have actually gone to an OSU football game, but, like, when you go to an OSU football game, you don't have to tell everyone or teach everybody that when they make a touchdown, everybody stands up and throws their hands up in the air. Like, that is a natural, innate human inclination to give glory and greatness, to celebrate, to, to declare worth over something, to stand up and lift up your hands. The trouble is that we have a God who is more powerful than a touchdown, more beautiful than any of those guys playing on the field. Like, <laughs> we have a God who should fascinate and captivate our hearts, but something uh, in, in us does not connect with that beauty. And so we don't naturally just throw our hands up in the air and, and raise it and declare God's worth when we worship. But God in his patience and his kindness still calls us to do it, even if our hearts are not there yet. Not because of how we feel, but because of a reality of truth that God is good, beautiful, powerful, worthy of all honor and praise and glory. And so we stand up and we raise our hands and we sing and we declare, you're good. Not like a football game does when we finally feel like it, but just because we know that's the reality. And as we do that, as we praise, then the reality of that truth comes into our being. Um, we always talk about this in prayer room, but singing, like, man, I kept looking at, I, I was concerned about Joseph, because Joseph is like the most, uh, uh, out of us three kids, just like his name, you know, did you know Joseph in the Bible actually cried more than any other person in the, in the Bible? Like, Joseph is actually a crier. Um, you wouldn't think it, but I think it really came out this past month. Like, more than me, more than Joseph, or more than my mom, more than Johnny, Joseph was crying, crying, and I was like, oh man, is he going to be okay? And, <laughs> like, but here's the thing, is that Joseph, as he was sitting there, I was watching him, he was praising the Lord, and even if his heart wasn't there yet, God, you're good. God, you are faithful to me and my family. You're kind. Even if it wasn't there yet, it was up here, he knows it, and then I'd watch him open his mouth and sing it. Like, you are good. And as he would sing it, it would go from up here, down here. As we sing it, as we say it, it goes from here to here. That's why you have to not ever be silent. We must declare the praise of the Lord. It's like, Oh my gosh, like, you're dying, you're spiritually dying, sing, sing. I, I remember there's actually a vision, I forget it was Luke Angle or someone, like, that he had, he had a dream once that uh, he saw all these ambulances, and um, all these people were in these ambulances, and you could see the monitor, and there was, they were, they were dying, and they were like, gee, like, the line was dead, and then, um, and then he saw an angel come in, and uh, he, the angel said, wait, wait, they're not dead yet. And the angel took one of those, uh, 
What do you call those machines that do the Thank you. <laughs> Good. I'm glad at least one medical person is still here, because of that just Rebecca, I'm like, that thingy, that thingy. Um, but defibrillator, right? So the angel comes in and goes, and takes the defibrillator and he goes, sing. Like, still dead. No singing. Sing. And and a, a small voice, like a weak voice, comes out of the person lying there in the ambulance, and they start to, to whisper the goodness of God. Yeah. And and one by one they go to the ambulance and sing, sing. Like we don't sing when we feel like it. We don't sing when we feel strong. We sing when we are weak and dead on the inside. Not just when we're strong. Sing when you're strong, but especially when you've lost faith. When you're going through a hard time. Sing. It moves from the head to the heart. Because praise aligns our heart with the reality of His worth. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's, that's the song in heaven. That's what their heart is overflowing with. Okay. Obviously, I don't have time to go through all seven, so I'll just go through one more. Okay. Um, Amorites, Hittites fear, Girgashites turning back from after seeing the goodness of God. Amorites. Bitter babbler, <laughs> the rebel. That's what Amorite means. The bitter babblers, or the, the rebel, rebellious spirit. Okay. Um, that's a difficult one for Americans because we like the rebel thought sometimes, you know. But actually, in the kingdom of God, um, God calls us to not make any covenant with rebellion. And uh, not to, I remember uh, <laughs> one time someone was telling me, this older man, he was like, back in the day, like when there were old movies, like the good guy was the good guy and the bad guy was the bad guy. And then it slowly became like, okay, maybe the not-so-good guy became the bad guy. And then now it's like blatantly the bad guy is the good guy in your movies, right? Like, so there is subtly, and to even guard our hearts in looking at Christ, that we do not partner and call it what is evil good, what is good evil. That we, we call rebellion for what it is. And actually what God says is rebellion is... Uh, First Samuel, the bottom there. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. As in stubbornness, as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Um, I don't know, it, it's a subtle thing. It's a whispered thing, especially in your teenage years. You know, the whispers of rebellion. Like, it's okay. I remember one of my youth leaders actually told me it's okay to be rebellious sometimes. Like, it's not. <laughs> it's not okay to be rebellious. The rebellion God calls is witchcraft. Um, witchcraft is this power that deceives and, and, and manipulates reality to make you think that, uh, that things are 
something when they're not. That's witchcraft. Witchcraft has the ability to jade the eyes, to tort the perception of somebody so that they think that they're justified in their rebellion. Um, okay, bitterness is knit with unforgiveness. Um, oh gosh, if you ask any pastor, like I guarantee you, if you take one survey of any of all the pastors in the United States and say, what is the one thing you've noticed that causes people's faith to crash? I guarantee you, it's going to be bitterness. It's, it's going to be bitterness. Like, bitterness, even the Bible says, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs to that and causes trouble, and by it many, many are defiled. Um, Yeah, and these are not things that happen um, instantly. Like they're they're things that creep into our hearts slowly, and and it's so important for us to come and before the Lord and just say, God, we worship you, praise you, thank you for forgiving me. Help me to forgive those who have wronged me. Um, like that story goes that that sometimes we do not forgive because. Um, we don't realize how much God has forgiven us. And once we realize how wicked, and my dad, oh, bless his heart, like, how many of you guys remember this? Every single time my dad would baptize somebody, it was like somewhat awkward because he would always like, take a long time as the person was standing there in the pool. Do you believe that you were a wicked, evil, lost, terrible, sinful very, very bad, very, very selfish, very, very horrible. <laughs> you know, go on and be like, oh my gosh, like, so awkward, Dad. And <laughs> he'd go on forever about that person. And they'd be like, <laughs> but it's so, but I, 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 like, there's so many things I talked to my dad about, like, when, I, when he was here, and now I'm realizing as I'm older that it was such wisdom. You know, such wisdom, like, he understood the depravity of man. Like, he really understood. And that's why, even last week, if you were here, um, someone, the pastor was asking, you, asking him, Pastor Juan, how do you, how are you so humble? How are you so humble? Like, because everybody knows he was one of the most humble men that ever, they've ever met. And my dad said, because I, I know how wicked I how wicked it is. My dad was in tune with his need for Christ and how evil his heart was before Christ came in. And we lose touch of that. Like, and so then when we lose touch, we don't forgive. When we lose touch, we hold offense. When we lose touch with how much we needed forgiveness and how much we still need forgiveness every day from the Lord. When we lose touch with that, um, we go bitter. And so we become bitter babblers and rebels. Okay, I'm, I ran out of time. I'm just going to go and summarize this part. So we get through three uh, Hittites, fear, Girgashites, turning back, Amorites, bitter babblers, rebels. Um, and the power of praise to help liberate us from these enemies. Um, 
And we're going to help go into the time of prayer here in a little bit. Um, and I want us to pray through these things. And that God would, would instill in us just that, that grace to pray. Um, and grace to pray and destroy uh, these three. Fear. The backsliding, the turning back to earthly things. The bitterness, the unforgiveness. And that God would teach us to praise and worship. So I'm going to invite Jessica to come on up. Jessica is actually 17 years old. I don't know if you guys know this. She's, uh, we're very proud of Jessica. I'm proud of Priscilla too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to just, she's going to lead us in a time of prayer. And um, let's go ahead and, and I always tell people this, but listening to good sermons is not enough. Like, knowledge actually puffs us up. Um, but we got to take what we learn and we got to spend time to pray it, to sing it out before the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for uh, for giving us this word today through Priscilla. Lord, um, we just really want to take what she said to heart, God, that it wouldn't just be something um, that she says today and we forget tomorrow, Lord. But we really just want to stay here. We want to just savor every word that she's spoken. God, we ask that as she's revealed these um, these three enemies of Israel, God, just these three enemies of our own faith, of our own heart, Lord, that you would just help us just fight back and attack them by recognizing them first, God. I just ask that you would remove any fear in all of our hearts, just any fear of man, God. If it's not godly fear, Lord, I just ask you to remove it today. But we ask that we would not be scared of just the disappointment of man, God, that it means nothing to us, Lord, that we can be unscathed just by these worldly things. But I ask that as we, as we recognize and accept you as our God, that we would not turn our backs, Lord, that we would not see you as our true king and decide to turn back from you, God, that we would not betray you, Lord. Lord, that we would see you as our true king, we would um, be willing to fight by you, um, by your side. God, that just, you would train our eyes on just bigger things, God, just on heavenly things, Lord, that we would be untouched, unbothered by anything in this world, Lord, that we would, like Priscilla said from the quote, God, that we would just preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, but that we wouldn't have to look past um, just all the accomplishments of this world, Lord, that we wouldn't have um, cravings of gold or silver, God, that we wouldn't turn our backs to you. That we would betray you for such small things that don't matter, Lord. So we just ask that you would really just turn our eyes, Lord. That you would just take away the blindfold that's been covering our eyes, God. Just a false sense of reality, Lord. That we would see you as our true king. And finally, I just ask that you would take away any bitterness from our hearts. Lord, any, maybe anything that's happened, Lord, that we don't agree with, God. That we would recognize that you are a true king. That you just are the judge above all, Lord, that we cannot even begin to comprehend your plan for us, cannot even begin to comprehend just your thoughts, Lord, that your plans, God, that we can't um, compete, we can't argue, God, that we just got to um, just stand before you and we just got to have faith, Lord. 
Lord, we just sit before you with faith in you, Lord, that we pray maybe just to ask for some understanding. But, Lord, even if we don't understand, we can't be bitter. Lord, even if we don't understand, Lord, we still look to you. We won't rebel. We will obey, God. We just sit before you. We obey you, Lord. Lord, we just ask that we would have full submission under you. Lord, just under your authority, under your power, under your knowledge. God, we just ask that as we go into this time of worship, Lord, that we would take all these things to heart. Lord, that we would pray for just the removal of fear, that we would not turn back from you, God, that you would remove any bitterness from our hearts. Lord, just breathe just your breath of life in us. Just blow through the caverns of our soul, God. Just, um, just awaken our spirits, Lord. Just fall afresh on us, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. We can actually uh, take some time to, to turn to the person, people around us, uh, two or three, and if we put those, that, uh, the three, whoever has the PowerPoint, <coughs> just pray for uh, one of those over your own heart, over the person next to you, around you. Just asking the Lord for the power of praise. So let's go ahead and pray off into the person two, three, or four around us, and just take some time with them. Thank you guys for coming today. Uh, really good to see some new faces, some old faces. I've never seen this side of the room so crowded before. Usually everyone tries to take the tables and then this side and that side. So it's nice to see that. Um, so today we're going to continue with what we were talking about last week, the weapon of praise. Uh, just to let you know, that, as you notice, there's probably a lot of people missing today. Uh, it's because uh, my... Joseph and Becca are on call again, and they promised that when they come back, they're going to take all the sermons and the everything, because I told them. <sighs> but yeah, no, I'm normally not always leading worship and doing the sermon and everything else. This is just two weeks of that, and then they promise they will do a lot more. So I'm excited for them to come back. Um, but my mom and, and my brother Johnny are also gone, because uh, my mom's actually going to another funeral. Her sister died. And, uh, yeah, right, there's a lot going on in my mom's life. Uh, her sister died um, previously, like a few months ago, but they weren't able to, to cel celebrate that. Not the death, but her life, uh, like, until now. Um, and, like, my mom, man, like, she just, like, if you have ever met her, she is, you wouldn't have guessed that so much has gone on in her life. Uh, she will be chipper, she will be cheerful, she will be like, she just won the lottery because Jesus loves her. And, uh, and I look at that and I realize now, um, you know, th that so many senior saints, that history of walking with the Lord is so precious. And there's such a strength in their humility. Um, because from young until old, they're still singing to the Lord. They're still you know, every morning, um, some of you guys know this, but every morning I would take a walk with my mom and dad around a park here called Antrim. And, uh, and every single time we would do it, when we started doing it a few years back, uh, we would walk around Antrim, it's about 1.2 miles. We'd get to this one place that was really beautiful, and my mom said, okay, every time we stop here, we will sing to the Lord a song. In the beginning, I really hated it because there's people running by, 
<laughs> there's people who are walking by just staring at you. I was like kind of quietly singing it. I would only allow my mom to sing two verses and then I would be like, that's it, we gotta go. But, you know, as time went on, I, I started, as I walked with her, I started to learn um, about her faith and her boldness in the Lord. And by the time that my dad passed um, a couple months ago, uh, I was starting to sing, you know, just more boldly and more freely at that place. Um, but what really touched me was also that, you know, the day after my dad died, uh, I actually have a video of it if you ever want to see it during lunch, but my mom and I walked around and she still stopped there and she still sang. And today, every morning, she still sings, just by herself and me. Um, but she's still singing. She is unoffended, undeterred. Um, she sings as loudly and as happily as she was, you know, before. And uh, I think that is just even a short picture of something available for all of us as we walk with Christ. In the beginning, when we walk with Christ, or around Antrim, or whatever, around whatever circles of life you walk, you know, we might be a little more shy in the ways of God, a little more shaky. But as we walk and we, we learn his faith and, and faith and we watch the way that he loves on God, the way that he sings to the Lord, the way that he prays to the Lord, we start to take on that character of Christ. And one day uh, we'll find that we sing. And, you know, I know that one day my, my brothers and I need to talk about it sometimes. I know that one day my mom will pass, you know, as well. And uh, she's pretty old at this point. Um, but whatever day that may be, sooner or later, like may the Lord find me still in the morning, walking around the mansion and singing to the Lord in that same spot. That's that's the beauty of, of that inheritance of worship and prayer. That didn't start with my dad, it started with, with God. It started with the worship and the song of God as he created the world, as he created mankind. That the Bible actually says that he sings over us. And we have that invitation to join in the song and the anthem of God until the day we die. And so I want to continue with this idea of the weapon of praise. And for those of you guys who were here last week, um, we talked about how our journey as Christians walking with the Lord, um, the story of the, the Israelites in Egypt was really a um, depiction of our life before we knew Christ, that so we were in bondage to sin, we were without vision, without purpose in our life. Um, and maybe some small purposes, but not one that is eternal, one that is worthy of giving life to. And so we were in bondage, and in Egypt, God sets us free. And we get to know Christ, and we're liberated from the bondage and oppression of Pharaoh. And then the next part of the story goes that we walk in the wilderness, and we start to learn slowly how to walk with God. Many of you guys remember even just when you begin to start to have regular conversations with the Lord, um, starting to learn about his character and his, his attributes, his faithfulness, his gentleness, as you start to walk with the Lord through the wilderness. But it doesn't end there. And this is where um, the sermon is primarily focused on is that, that promised land and defeating the compromises in those promised land. Uh, the Israelites were told that there are seven nations in that promised land that you must uh, conquer and you must defeat. And just likewise, as we become Christians, many of us think that once you accept Christ, it's done. You know, you just kind of coast until the day you die. You coast and kind of do the same thing the world does until the day you die. And that's not true. The Lord actually calls us that until the day we enter that 
and conquer that promised land, going into the inheritance of God, we are to make war with seven enemies. And this is what God says in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Uh, some scholars call these the seven ites, right? The Hittites, the Gershites, right? The ites. Um, so there are seven ites in our own life that God actually calls us to destroy in our Christian walk. And he says four things about these ites. He says, they are mightier than you. Like, you cannot defeat any one of these on your own strength. You cannot psychologically set your mind to any strength strong enough to beat them. They are mightier than you. There is no amount of Pilates and exercise and uh, positive thinking and I don't know what they do out there, meditation. There is no amount of, of things out there that will help you to conquer these things. Only God can deliver them to you. Only God. Third thing. He calls us to utterly destroy them. To make no covenant with them or show them mercy. Do not have any alliance at all with these. No matter how logical they sound, no matter how commonplace they are, even if everyone around you is accepting them, uh, doing them, walking with them because they seem to make sense or to give you some benefit, make no alliance with these sevenites in our Christian walk. Because the truth is the Lord knows that once we, we make alliances with them, they will destroy our relationship with God. They will ultimately pull us away and blind us from his goodness, blind us from his worthiness to follow. And he, they will rob us of our inheritance in God, but also God's inheritance in us. Um, that was something huge we've been talking about in Bible study. Uh, this Friday is, you know, like one of the ites that we talked about was like, uh, let me see, Hittites. And Hittite we talked about last year means, uh, or last, yes, last week was fear, right? That's what the word Hittite means. And we talked about, you know, making no alliance with fear, no covenant with fear. And when it pertains to us being God's inheritance, um, and I, I hope I convey this well. Becca does a much better job than me. But the idea is this, that when you're a baby Christian, um, we often think, oh yeah, my inheritance is God. Like, when I accept Jesus, I get the benefits of peace, I get the benefits of joy, I get the benefits of going to heaven, and I get this, and my inheritance is Jesus. And that's not wrong, and that's not bad. But even more powerful and even more of an equal yoke with Jesus and walking in maturity in Christ is to say, to realize that, wait a minute, I'm his inheritance. I'm his inheritance. That Jesus, like the same joy and delight and expectation and hope 
that we put in to one day we will get to be with God and our, our lives will be so beautiful and wonderful. That same joy resides in Jesus himself when he looks at you, when he looks at me. That same joy that this, these are my inheritance, that he loves and he, he loves to dwell with us, that he has a joy in being in 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 our being and to see our thought process and our emotions that, that brings a certain delight in him, a joy of a bridegroom uh, who looks at his bride and says she and dreams and, and anticipates and looks forward to the day that he's with us forever. And even today, like the Song of Solomon says, that the, the, the Shulamite, the woman says, come into your garden, is what she says, meaning God, come into my heart, come abide, come dwell, this garden belongs to you. Like my heart, my emotions, my thought process, this space is not my own, it belongs to you. And that's huge because in American culture, we often think that you know our thoughts are our own. Like if I'm fearful, it's not just me. If I'm angry, it's just if I just don't show it on the outside, it's fine because I bottled it here, and it's fine if it's just here. But that's not actually true. God says, that's my, my resting place is with you. It belongs to me. And that's huge because how many of you guys have ever lived by yourself before? Okay, so you know if you live by yourself, you're much more messy, you're much more like indecent you know, when you're by yourself. Right, when you're by yourself, you can put your food anywhere, you can put your feet anywhere, you can be smelly and, and you can say whatever because it's unto yourself, right? But as soon as that roommate comes in, or if you get married, as soon as that husband or wife comes in, suddenly there's a desire, right? It's not about me anymore. It's not just my space. Like, it belongs also to this person. And likewise, many of our own selfishness and our own um, wrestle with sin, like we can't beat it if we just will ourselves and be like, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, it's bad for my inside, it's bad for my health. It's bad. Those are true, but even more potent and more powerful than what God calls us to recognize is that's his space. That's where he walks and he, he enjoys you. Like, and so suddenly there's a desire to clean up that space because you are the inheritance of God. Right? Like he delights in that space with you. And so God, may we be a resting place for you. Like may we, may we just give us grace to weed out all compromise and all foxes inside our gardens because it's your garden. It's your space. And so... All right, so <laughs> i got to go on. But Hittites, uh, we talked about last week, it's one who's broken and fears. And we talked about how praise, the opposite of that, brings God's presence and makes the enemy flee. Um, so we talked about how Hittite, it actually in Hebrew means fear. And the remedy of that is the power of praise because the power of praise brings God's presence and he fights for you. You cannot beat it yourself. Then we talked about the Gergeshites, and the Gergeshite literally means turning back. Specifically, one who goes to the Holy Land, sees what's wonderful and good about God, but turns back because they're carnal-minded. So God calls us to, uh, and I'll keep going a little bit faster.
skipped the need to finish these PowerPoints. Gergesheit means turning back, and the, the remedy of that is sounding God and God alone, that God deserves glory. And when you realize that God deserves glory and God deserves praise, that you will not turn back. And so when we open our mouths and praise Him, it's so important to do so because it aligns our hearts with the worth of God. We don't sing once we feel like it. We don't sing once we're there. We sing when we're beaten, when we're, we're, we're trodden. Why? Because it aligns ourselves to the worth of God. So also sing when you're happy. You also sing when you're successful, but especially when you are beaten down, especially when you don't feel God and you wonder even if God is even there. Sing. Sing. Amorites, the bitter babbler. We talked about that. If you've been in church long enough, you will have guaranteed been exposed to bitter babblers, right? Or at work. Work is like a, a huge place for bitter babblers. Um, but bitter babblers everywhere, and it's commonly accepted as the norm. God says, make no covenant with them. Make no covenant with bitterness. Make no covenant to utterly destroy it from our lives. I was reminded of something that Becca once talked about, and this really struck me, but she said, bitterness, bitterness is really making an idol of those who hurt you. Think about that. Bitterness is making an idol of those who have hurt you. That's so true. And God calls us to dash and destroy every idol in our lives. But how crazy is it that, that we would make an idol of those who have hurt us, those who have, who have wounded us, that we think about them all the time, that we, it bothers us when they walk into the room. We can't, we can't, we miss out on the 99% of the blessings in the room, and all we think about is that one person, that one thing, right? Like, how have we made an idol of those who have hurt us? So Amorites means bitter babbler. That God says, make no alliance, destroy that completely. Um, I never got into this part, but the, the um, remedy or that which alleviates bitterness um, is thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving. God hates complaining because he himself is full of thanksgiving. Like, remember, Jesus is constantly thanking the Father. Thanking the Father. I mean, Jesus is. The Father and Him are one. Uh, Jesus would multiply bread and He'd thank the Father. Right? Like, it would be something that was so um, overflowing in His heart. Gratitude towards His own Father. And He calls us that when we align with Jesus, that we too are invited to be filled with the gratitude that can only be found in Christ. Um, Psalm 7840 says, How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert, yet again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. Isn't it interesting that God gets limited? Like, that's, that's like a, that's one of those, like, what? God can be limited? God is actually limited by uh, the complaining of the Israelites. Like, 
that he, there was certain, imagine, in the heart of God was this desire to bless, this desire to do, the desire to show signs and wonders and great things in their lives, but he was limited by their complaining, limited by their bitterness. And that, that puts a fear of the Lord in my own heart, like, God, what am I missing out on because I won't get rid of that bitterness in my heart or that unforgiveness in my heart. God, help me to walk in a way that I'm so free and that because I'm free to run to you, you're free to give me every desire of your heart to give me. Um, you know, there's often um, like a, a, a pride that rises up in us and says we have to, you know, hurt those who hurt us. But we... We looked at the cross of Jesus. Jesus like, was a lamb led to the slaughter. Uh, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, even in, um, man, even in that, the cross, I, I've talked about this before, but in the last uh, couple months in this trial, uh, when, I was at, when I was sitting and watching my dad suffer, and my family suffer, and um, there was such a temptation of bitterness to come into my heart. Like, God, why? Why my family? Didn't we serve you? Didn't we love you? Like, God, like, why my dad, the best out of all of us? Like, he's so humble, he's so meek. Like, just that temptation to, to grow bitter before the Lord. But praise God for the cross. Because I saw that, I saw that, no, like, that temptation to believe God is angry, God is unfair. Like, I look at the cross and I think, no, like, he who grew up his own son. He must be good. Like, as a, and as I watch, like, in my, my spirit, man, in my mind's eyes, I see Jesus bearing that cross uh, to Calvary and his suffering and his hardship. And, like, I, I look at his father and his father even allowing his son to go through that. And I think to myself, like, he, surely he must be a good God. Surely there is no room for bitterness and accusation against the Lord, he who would give up his own son, he who would bear the cross for me, like, surely he must be good. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And as I thank the Lord for the cross, like, there is no room for complaining. Like, Jesus, why didn't you give me, like, he's bearing the cross. Like, would he not give you the best? And Jesus, can't, can't believe you, can't believe what? He's right there bearing the cross. Like, to his own life, he held nothing back. He holds nothing back from you. Like, if he has led you, even today, if he has led you, and if you are even in the midst of the valley right now, it is because there's something loving and beautiful and good that Jesus, who would suffer so much, he would not want you to suffer if he did not know that there is a glory and a prize ahead of you. That Jesus Christ goes before us on the cross was something so good for me to remember. All right, so we finished those three, and now let me go on to Canaanites. Remember, make no alliance with them. Utterly destroy them. They are stronger than you. Only God can deliver them to you. Canaanites. Canaanites literally means... Oops. Merchants who humiliate. And uh, they were financial giants who boast over those who have less. So Canaanites, obviously, mammon, uh, money. So 
that, that spirit is similar to addictions and perversions. Uh, really, the perversion of wealth is man. And so God says, make no alliance with that. Covet not gold or silver. Um, interestingly enough, everyone's like, you know, Sunday School 101, what was Sodom's and Gomorrah's sin? Everyone thinks Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin was uh, sexual immorality, right? But actually, if you look in the book of Ezekiel, it wasn't. In God's eyes, that was just a fruit of their sin. The root of Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was this, in Ezekiel. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Sodom and Gomorrah, their root issue was they had excess. They had excess. They were prosperous and in ease. They were Canaanites of heart, merchants who were took pride in their gold and their silver and thought that they were mighty and strong and willing to humiliate those under them. Um, Matthew 12, 13, 22 says, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. This is like a message for America, right? Like, as much as we think we're poor sometimes, like, in comparison to the rest of the world, we are so rich. We are so rich. And this is one of those warnings for us and that we warn, you know, my parents would warn us and we can warn our children and is the deceitfulness of riches. That riches actually makes us believe that we are not in need. That there is a trap specifically for those who have money that is excess in pride and prosperous ease and not helping those in need. Merchants, Canaanites, God calls us to make no alliance with that. And what praise does is it actually does the weapon of praise, which is what God told the, the Israelites to fight every enemy in the promised land with the weapon of praise. The weapon of praise, it one, aligns us with what true wealth really looks like. And praise, in addition, um, connects us with the generosity of God. Like praise actually helps us to see how generous and how good God really is. That God is so generous that it says uh, that he actually in scripture poured himself out, not so much just that he gave us you know, the sun and and food on our table, like he gave up, like heaven, he came down to earth in the form of human flesh. He gave it all, even unto the point of death. That is the generosity of God. And when we praise and we worship, we connect with the generosity of God, and it destroys that, that Sodom and Gomorrah spirit in us, that prosperous, that deceitfulness of riches in us. So, Canaanites' love of money and excess, praise gives us true treasure in Christ and the generous, the generous heart of God. The parasites are the next one. Parasites actually mean, uh, means rural, I can't say this word. I've never been able to say this word growing up. Rural? Rural. Okay. 
rural person. <laughs> uh, so it's a person who, uh, back in the day they lived in cities, but one who was a rural, gosh, rural person uh, was one who's dwelling in places of, of limited vision, that they didn't catch the vision of the city and building and, and somewhat, sometimes people actually considered them as somewhat lazy. Um, not so much now, because now, like, the people who live in, in the rural areas are, are like, farmers and hardworking. But um, back in that, that, that day, that the Hebrew uh, perspective of that was a person who was lazy, low self-esteem, uh, had limited vision. So parasites are people of limited vision who don't see a reason to pray fast or get involved in the work of the kingdom. They have low self-esteem. They don't believe in their calling in the Lord. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And we know that even on a secular level, like those of us who are lazy, or if we see lazy people, we know that pretty much all restraint is cast off. Right? Be it, be it like how much we binge watch on YouTube or how much we, we do this or that or indulge. Like it is a lack of restraint because there is no prophetic vision. And, um, you know, we can, we can try to will ourselves to not be lazy because we can decide, oh, like I want to build my own kingdom and glorify myself. But the Bible actually says that that, like, if you want to try to find your life, you will lose it. Like, you can try to build all this wonderful stuff. Uh, there's a story in the Bible of this man who stored up all this treasure uh, in the storehouse, and he said, ah, finally, like, I can relax now and take it easy all my day. I mean, this guy's a discipline. He was not lazy. He stored it up, and you know what God says? He says, you fool. You fool. Like, your very life will be demanded from you today. And everything that you built and everything that you, you disciplined yourself to do for your own glory will go to another. And so the only way for us, you know, even um, God calls us to, to tap into his heart, his prophetic vision over our lives, not just for our glory, but the glory of God. That's where true uh, life is, it's when we have that relationship with God and we see and even desire to walk with the Lord and partner with his dreams over us and his vision over us. Um, recently, uh, uh, Sharon and, and Vic um, had a, a child, uh, but those two are not actually their, <laughs> everyone thinks that those are because they're actually their nieces, but they have a son. And it's one thing for them to be like, this is what I want for my son, this is what my desire is for him, versus, you know, partnering with God and saying, God, what is your desire, what is your heart for this child? And um, even for ourselves, we are invited into that. First uh, Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The power of praise moves us from our, uh, into our identity as priests. Praise locks our eyes on God, our leader, who keeps us from worthless pursuits. I've always loved that, that passage, like being able to pray that over my life because it's, it's a generation that we're easily addicted to worthless pursuits because we have so much. Like, we're so much, so many blessings that we can just get caught into worthless pursuits 
and be uh, parasites living in that urban or that rural area. But God calls us to identify with him and one of the big callings he has over us is to be priests. Psalm 119, 37 says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. Praise down those God's vision and heart into our inner man. As a royal priesthood, granted access through the blood and filled with the Holy Spirit, we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. The glory of God isn't restricted to his character or moral perfection. It's also the beauty of his plans and purposes. As we see his person, we delight in his actions. In other words, as we see him with a spirit of revelation, we gain faith for his people, the church. So even more powerful than, than Sharon and Vic praying, God, what is your plan over my son? Is to teach their son to worship and pray and behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, that he himself would know the plans and the purposes of God, beholding his beauty. Yeah. I haven't much sure to say that, but sometimes it's like, man, like, how do I get my child not to be lazy? Let's just like beat their butt, which like sometimes you do need to beat their butt. But even like beating their butt is not enough. Fear is not enough to drive and, and end bad habits. Fear isn't. Like, but what is is love. Love. Specifically the love of God. To behold the face, the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is enough to break us out of laziness, out of addictions. Okay. Uh, so spiritual laziness. So Hittites fear, Gershites turning back, Amorites bitter babbler, Canaanites love of money, Parasites spiritual laziness, and now the last one. Hivites. Wickedness. That's literally what it means. Hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure. Central self-indulgence. Um, some of the things that you would hear a hedonist say is, if it feels good, do it. This is my life. Nobody can tell me what to do. This is my life. Romans 5, 8, 5 says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Um, hedonism is actually a huge one. I mean, anyone who's listened to half the songs on the radio are about, this is my life. This is like, it makes me feel good, so I do it. It's actually a very Greek like way of thinking. It's a very Roman way of thinking. If it feels good, do it. And we actually, as Christians, are called um, to come against that, that mindset and that mentality. And the only way to defeat that enemy, also like the other ones, is praise. Praise gives us grace to agree with what God says is actually true pleasure. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was always taught, like, what's, that, what's that thing that they always teach about grace? Grace is deserving something, getting something you don't deserve. Is that right? God giving you a free gift that you don't deserve, right? That was what I always was taught what grace is. And it's not a bad definition, but like I think that one that really gave me a lot more um, strength and understanding of it was actually coming from Titus, the book of Titus, where it says, what is grace? <clears throat> grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. What does it do? Grace does three things. 
One, helps us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Two, this is straight up in the Bible, it says to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Three, it causes us to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God. So what does grace do? Like what actually is grace? It's literally the strength of God in our lives to one, actually believe what is bad is bad. To actually agree with that. There's so many things right now that are bad that I think that is actually really good. Like, God, I really don't want you to know that. I actually really like that. Grace gives us the heart that turns and says, wow, like, this actually tastes really bad. This thing I used to like, that God called bad, I used to love it, but now I'm actually feeling like it's really bad. That's grace. The strength of God to actually call what is evil, evil. And then it's also the strength of God to call what is good, good. Like, you may not like certain things that God says is good right now, but God gives grace that we will actually start to turn our hearts, give us strength to like it. Um, I know an example from my own life, and I'll kind of wrap up here pretty quickly, but um, is like the music I used to listen to. When I was a freshman in college, like, whatever music, like, is on the radio, it's like, okie-dokie for me. Like, the music that my peers were singing or... or listening to it. And then as I walked more with the Lord, it was like something started to bother me a little bit about this music. And then it started to be like, I can't even listen to this right now. Like, I gotta turn it off. Or things that I watched on TV. You know, like I used to enjoy it. And then all of a sudden the grace of God came and suddenly my heart started to turn. The strength of God to actually agree with what is good is good. And to be excited for the day of Jesus' return. Okay, so we need God's grace. Should I be, uh, oh, there's one more. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's right, thank you. All right, so who is loving sexuality? Like, the way to beat that is the grace. Praise the Lord, he gives you grace. All right, last one, real quick. Sorry, guys. Jeremy's like, treading underfoot. That's literally what it means, treading underfoot. Uh, it means people who uh, suppress, uh, even a form of legalism. And just real quickly, Jebusites can manifest as like the Pharisee spirit, because we know the Pharisees who tread on people, right? Like they would take, they tread on the word of God, you know, um, and they would tread on people. They would actually take the word of God and like build like 10 bazillion laws on top of it and almost like crush that, that simple law of God and crush people at the same time and condemn them and, and hate on them. Um, but trampling on people looks like Pharisees, but it also looks like uh, sexual immorality. Uh, and like when people, you know, whether it be pornography or whatever, that's really treading on people. You're really treading on people. You know? It's no different than that. In God's eyes, it's treading on people as like the religious leaders do and treading on people. Um, that's often, that's why sometimes like, you actually find, like, behind the scenes of some Christian leaders, people are always surprised, oh my gosh, there's sexual immorality going on, what's going, you know, like, we see it happening all the time in the Catholic Church or, you know, the Protestant Church, whatever, it doesn't seem to surprise us anymore when people find out that there was um, sexual immorality in the higher levels of, you know, uh, spiritual leaders. Why? Because that's, that heart of treading on people manifests in both ways. Okay, so 
God says, do not tread on people. And how do we not tread on people? You can't just will yourself to like Bob, who you really don't like. You know, like, you praise the Lord. Not, not your dad, Bob, sorry. It was just the first name that I came into my mind. But, you know, Fred. Like, it, so you can't just will yourself to like somebody. Uh, but actually, when you praise the Lord and worship the Lord, like, he renews our mind, and we actually start to agree with what God says about that person. Okay. Sorry to rush through this, but I really wanted to get through all seven enemies of Israel. Um, so we're going to take some time to pray. Uh, again, God says, like, these seven are mightier than you. They're mightier than you. There's no amount of human strength or wisdom that can conquer this. Two, only God will deliver it over to you. Three, make... When, they, when God gives it to you, destroy it. Utterly destroy it. All seven of them. And then, uh, the fourth is to make no covenant with them. And then God leads them into the promised land. The first thing he teaches them to do is worship. Worship. Alright, let's take some time to pray. And as we pray, I want us to really consider in our own lives, maybe in the lives of those we love, like what is, what are some um, of these seven enemies that you want to take before the Lord and say, God, deliver them uh, over to me that I may crush them. time to pray about uh, what we've heard from Priscilla, what Priscilla's spoken about today. So Jesus, we just thank you for bringing Priscilla, uh, just allowing her to, just allowing her to help us recognize um, just the seven enemies that we battle day to day. Uh, Lord, whether it's the fear of man or just bitterness, Laziness, God, whatever it is, Lord, I just ask that you would help us identify these aspects in our hearts. That we would not only identify it, but we would bring it to you, God. That you would give us the grace to defeat this, because without you, Lord, we can't do it ourselves. Lord, just for those who are bitter, I just ask that you would break into their hearts, God. That you would remove just any hatred, any um anything that's hindering them from being able to love, being able to be thankful, God. For those who might be lacking spiritually, Lord, I just ask that you would fill them with just a new spirit, just a new hunger and a new thirst to seek after you day in, day out. God, just, just ask for just, just a tearing away of the mindset of hedonism, Lord, that it's not just for us, Lord, that we would live our lives walking according to your will. And according to what is good for the kingdom, not what we feel is good for ourselves. And I just ask that you would um, touch each one of our hearts today, that we would be willing to change, not only recognize our shortcomings and our sins, God, that we would seek after your righteousness and your salvation willingly and actively, God. We just don't let us make an idol out of just the things and the people that have hurt us, or that we would turn away from each one of these enemies. God, that we would be righteous and blameless um, as a bride before you for our crew. In your name I pray. Amen. Um,
Um, I'm just going to ask that everyone finds two or three people around you um, and just identify just any sins, any um, of these seven enemies that you might have in your own hearts that you're battling with right now. I just ask that you guys would come together and pray together for this. Let's just take a few moments, grab a few people around you, um, go ahead and pray for this.